0: My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I talk with Aaron. We start out talking about having too many players. Can you imagine a 12-player game? We also talk about funny campaigns and physical handouts. Imagine getting an uh, invite to a D&D game, and you've got age paper with a wax stamp on it. And then finally, we finish up talking about one shots. Remember to like, follow, and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening on. Be sure to comment your favorite part of the episode. If you're interested in chatting further or being on the show, check out our Discord server. Link is in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and let's get started. Welcome, Aaron. Why don't you tell us about kind of how you got into tabletop RPGs? Back in high
1: school, me and a bunch of my friends, we would do all kinds of stupid stuff outside and try and, in the nicest way, kill each other, as high schoolers do. Then when temperatures went below freezing, one of them got uh, the red box from D&D 4th edition. So first time DM, we had 12 of us. I was one of the players going through the pre-written module and broke the game. It's like, you know, this is actually a lot of fun. So I got the box, I started running 4th edition, got a smaller group, and ran it for a bit, and then just kept on going from there.
0: So you had, you had 12 people?
1: 12 players, 1 DM. There were potentially going to be more, but they decided, you know, we're just going to hang out and go play video games in the next room. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I can imagine that for, especially for a first time DM, 12 people, that's a, that'd be a lot even for an experienced DM.
1: I run uh, somewhere between five and seven, depending on who's here this week. And 12 just sounds like a nightmare.
0: <laughs> Is your And you have a, a game that, kind of a frequent game that you guys play or run?
1: We run Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I run two campaigns. My main campaign is every other Monday. trade off with another DM. And then my uh, I call them my fun group. Oh well, they're my fun group or for fun, they're my shit group, which <laughs> is a bunch of old co-workers. We get together and they try and compete to say who can get me to get pissed off at then the first. And it's a game they've been very good at, so.
0: <laughs> so that's just kind of a kind of a throwaway campaign, it's not not too serious.
1: We yeah. It's one of those we're here to have fun, and we will have fun. I don't care what mechanics we throw out the window, we're going to have fun.
0: Sure. And then your your other one is maybe a little more uh on rails, so to say, maybe?
1: Uh, yes, my serious one is going through... It is naval ship exploration, going place to place, attempting to get whatever information, and doing quests, and having... It's a lot more of a, okay, we're all going to sit down, we're here to play Dungeons & Dragons, let's see what's about to come out.
0: And you said you started with fourth edition how was the transition over to fifth
1: a brutal transition uh fourth edition it is fairly common to have plus 4 or 5 weapons at least fifth edition that wasn't the case my first little campaign i had a fourth level player that had a plus 2 longsword and some with plus 3 armor it's like, ooh, that's a little on the broken side.
0: <laughs> and and your players have and and as a DM, you've been able to kind of adapt to the to the rule changes.
1: It's been a slow process. Is it's one of those I will always favor if I can make you have more fun by giving you something a little bit stronger. That's fine with me. I'll just keep in mind if I give you something stronger I'm gonna ramp up the monsters as well so sure. it's kind of a catch22 of my players are do I really want this magical helmet or do I want to see what's behind the door first
0: <laughs> yeah because that that could uh that could change depending on if they put the helmet on or not well that's kind of a neat you know way to look at it as you know if you're yeah, sure we can ramp up the the fun stuff but that also means you're getting challenged harder too
1: oh yeah it's one of those you don't have to take it if you don't want to
0: so how do you plan your campaigns
1: well i'm gonna be honest i do fairly little planning on them i'll go in i'll plan out like here's this location where we're going here's a handful of shops a handful of quests and then I'll, on the fly, make a bunch of maps and put several monsters in there. And then I just kind of roll with the punches. I, Between the two campaigns I run, I maybe put about three or four hours in prep work on them. Now That's combined.
0: Sure. So you're very minimal on your prep. It seems like a lot of the... Well, I've only talked to two other people so far, but... Both of them also were pretty low on the amount of prep that they did. And do you kind of let your players, like, is it more of a sandbox where you say, you know, your players kind of tell you what direction they're heading in, so you just kind of populate the stuff that's going to be in front of them? Or do you have certain, like, story points that you're trying to hit?
1: I do a little bit of a mixture, because for my serious group i gave once they got on their ship and they got started sailing here is 10 different quest lines that you guys can choose from which one would you like to do and i would tell them that there's a few of these that might be time sensitive so if you decide not to do that that adventure might not be along for a while and as they choose where to go i'll build the world around where they're at it's, sure. I do have story things, but it's not like you have to choose to go this way. It's like, if you don't want to go there, you don't have to. Just know that it might not be available.
0: And that, I feel like that kind of makes it feel a little bit more real and dynamic too then, right? Because those things, like you said, being time sensitive, you know, this person may need help, but if they don't get the help they need, then there's a logical conclusion to that. And then they might... They no longer need help for good, bad, or otherwise. And so when you're giving your players those like 10 quest lines, is it just like a couple sentences that you put together?
1: I have, at that point, I give them, it's about two or three lines of, here's the overview of what will be going on in that perceived by the people that are in it. And then in my notes, I probably have, paragraph and a half maybe two or so that actually really go in and dive more into it and once they choose that i end up coming back and writing and flushing it out a lot more
0: sure you really build it out once they've kind of picked that direction um and how many how many players do you have in that campaign
1: in my serious campaign i have six players and then in my fun campaign, I have, goodness, last week I had two people, this week I'm expecting seven.
0: <laughs> so when you, when you jump between, you know, you've got a decent amount of people and you have your different sessions, do you let people kind of drop in and drop out depending on scheduling or do you, do you try to, like for the serious campaign, do you try to make sure everybody can meet for sure, to play through?
1: My general rule of thumb is that if we have the majority of the group, which is four or more players, we will continue on with it, but I will delay story elements of it. And if we have three or less players, it's, okay, we're going to put this week on pause. We'll pick it up from here next session. And I also leave it up to the players. So say like, well, they know we're about to go into a big story that's tied to one of my characters. She happens to not be there that week. Well, we'll put it on pause and we'll do something else because if it's linked to your character and you get caught up and are you know, two hours late to the session, it's unfair that you miss all of that. So,
0: well, right. Mostly... Especially when it's for them. Mm-hmm. So you'll do little side adventures then kind of like a uh, like something not downtime, but that's the word I'm thinking of. But just like I, like I said, like a side adventure just to kind of fill that session then.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, either hang out on the boat and talk with the NPCs because I've got I give out NPCs quite a lot. And it's like, well. How about this it's a sailing ship and you need 20 crew? Here's 15 crew members. You can go talk and play little games. Or if we don't want to play d and I'll break out one of my other board games that I have.
0: Sure. Yeah, I would imagine if you're on a sailing ship, there's always something that can be done, even if it's maybe a little bit less exciting than adventuring, but also still important to uh, you know the story, and then you can kind of build out you know, relationships with crew members and, and whatnot.
1: Everyone seems to be enjoying it. They all have their favorites, like, oh, I'm with this person, and they have their own rooms, and a couple of them are now sharing rooms with NPCs, and they have late-night talks with them. It's like, <laughs> ah, I've got to do voices now for these 12 different people. Okay, let's do this. <laughs>
0: So, well, I mean, that's good. So your players are buying into your NPCs, obviously. Yeah, so you mentioned voices. Do you do much for voices?
1: I give it a shot. Some of them are extremely sub-average, and then (laughs) some of them are right around average. And it's one of those that's... I try and do it to where if I have two NPCs in the one conversation, I'll try and have two distinct voices for them. Beyond that, Jake might have Paul's voice or flip back and forth and close enough. And if you Jared. need to ask who you're talking to, I'll, I can tell you.
0: Yeah, so just just enough to differentiate at least so that somebody listening can can kind of understand you mentioned um, you know, putting together maps and stuff as you are kind of prepping. Do you grab those like online or are those things that you draw out?
1: Right now, I am grabbing them online and using a website that one of my players, she is a DM, is, her and I share an account on Inkheart. So I draw out my maps on there. And when we are finally able to... Uh, get back and not have to use TVs so everyone can stay far apart on the setup. I actually have a a dry erase board. That's plexiglass. I'll just set that over a grid, draw a quick little map on it, set up a few props and there's your room.
0: Cool. So right, obviously right now you're playing online. Um, What is there certain, do you use like roll 20 or one of the other tabletop platforms?
1: and it's kind of a hybrid i rearranged my living room and i made little shields to where everyone has their own little i call them mini cubicles that they sit in where we can all be together but be separated and then there's a centralized tv sitting on the floor that displays all the maps and i do all the movements for them Uh, that's kind of a weird thing but i use roll 20 for that and they seem to enjoy
0: it I haven't heard of anybody having a hybrid setup yet, so that's definitely interesting. Your TV on the floor—is that did you just like take a TV and just kind of prop it up on the floor, or did you kind of build something for it?
1: I actually, uh, before all of this, I built a table to go in and house everything. Then I had an insert for that table that I could use as a formal dining room table. I just took that insert out, turned it upside down prop the TV up enough to where I could all record to the back of it. And that's what we use.
0: Nice. I've always, I've seen those gaming tables online where somebody, you know, basically builds them from scratch and then they've got the nice monitor in there. And I would love to do that, but I have, you know, zero woodworking skills or tools. So it might be a little ways off for that. I know that, for the games that I've played, Roll20 has really helped a lot, and the digital maps are nice. And and like you said, when we get back in, in person, it would be kind of nice to be able to still leverage that technology, you know, but at the table. That's cool that you've gotten, or that you were able to do that with your setup. Are there things that you've found as a DM that you maybe struggle with?
1: Uh, coordinating schedules um, is always the hardest thing. So what I've found is I simply, before the campaign even starts or I send invites, I clear my schedule of it's going to be on this particular day at this time and I'm going to keep it consistent for there. It's on my serious group. That's been Monday nights at like 6 o'clock. And it's kind of one of those... If you keep it consistent, people will start forming their schedules around it. It's when you skip around, it's like, okay, we're going to run it on Tuesdays, then Thursdays, have it nice, simple set. And if they can't make it, they can't make it and just play it by ear.
0: Yeah. Just keeping it on the schedule and saying, this is when we're meeting. If you show up, great. If not, that makes a lot of sense. I know we've had, I've had issues with variable schedules, and it's yeah, coordinating is definitely very challenging. And you prim, uh, you primarily play fifth edition. Have you played any other systems? I
1: have talked with a few of my players about other systems, but I don't have the time to learn those right now. It's one of those I would like to. As uh, three point five, I keep taking a look at that and say. Oh maybe but I don't want to go out and uh, start reading up on all of that and it's mostly just a time thing but when I get a chance 3.5 is next on the list.
0: Sure. So you're pretty much exclusively exposed to like D&D between the uh, 4th edition and 5th edition. Yep. What is something that you know as a game master or dungeon master you wish you would have known sooner?
1: You don't need to put in so much time for prep because your players are going to destroy your plans anyways on accident or sometimes on purpose. They'll just roll with the punches. It'll be fine.
0: you have an example of where you did some prep and your players just completely just threw it out the window?
1: In my uh, troublesome group that we have fun, there's supposed to be a fairly... Kind of low ish level where they had to fight three cyclopses in an arena at the same time. So I was preparing for a very difficult battle. Our bard jumps in, he casts hypnotic pattern, and all three of them fail their saves. It's like, huh. So then right after the fight, I had one of the Cyclopses go up, and my intention was, okay, one-on-one fight. Bard's trying to show off, get a, get the girl, yada, 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 that whole line, and talk his way out of it, and through some nice rolls, managed to uh, prevent his skull from being crushed in. It's like, all right, I can't be mad, you got me.
0: So you mentioned rolls, and that made me think of, um, as a DM, when you're rolling, do you roll in the open, or do you you know, roll behind a screen?
1: I roll behind a screen, mostly because I keep notes on that screen. So it's not out of, I hide my rolls, because I'm very frequently, I'm very vocal about, oh, that's uh, after modifiers, that's this number here to where they don't know the actual roll, they do know the result of the roll. And there's times when I will take pictures of my dice and it's like, here's the fifth one I've rolled tonight. Take the dice and throw it down the hall. It's like, I'll get that later.
0: <laughs> Bad dice. So yeah, you're not you're not one to necessarily fudge rolls. You, you still roll behind the screen though, just out of convenience for yourself then Uh.
1: i will fudge them slightly and say like this is going to kill someone i won't i will let you survive one more hit than what you're supposed to but i will kind of nudge nudge wink wink you need to leave and beyond this this is your warning good luck
0: It's kind of like a soft hit. This may have been fatal, but uh, yeah, your warning shot.
1: It's like, well, the dice have spoken, and I shot one of my NPCs, did like 50-some-odd damage from a ballista, nearly one shot them. It's like, ooh, that's bad.
0: (laughs) So if you're playing on a 5th edition, do you do much homebrew, or do you kind of pull... Uh, everything out of like the monster manual or online resources or whatever
1: i tend to pull and tweak so i will take something and it's like oh, i like the base of it i want it to do this and then i'll modify it to do what i want it to do
0: do you do you ever have issues with players having like meta knowledge or is that ever something that's even come up at your table
1: one of my players another dm has almost the entire monster manual memorized which is throws a big loop in things so which is why i started pulling and tweaking and some of it is just going in it's like i'm going to snag this stat block here for this particular monster describe it as it is but use a completely different stat block for it
0: sure so kind of subverts their expectations a little bit and, Oh, I know what this is, but okay. It's acting a little bit differently than maybe I thought Mm it would.
1: Oh yeah. it,
0: It seems like a good way to kind of handle that, especially when you're playing with another DM, if you don't want them to have, you know, extremely specific knowledge on certain monsters or whatever. Are there any specific tools that you use or books, websites, whatever that you like to pull from?
1: Well, I use I mix between the Tome of Beasts, Mordenkiner's Tome Tomb of Foes for pulling my monsters and from campaigns I mostly just pull those from video games and maps. I wherever I can get a map, I get a map.
0: There's a lot of places online to just find RPG maps, which is kind of amazing how I, I almost feel explosive it's been and maybe the Pandemic has helped kind of uh, explode that market as well, but there are just so many places where you can get really high quality maps now. So do um, you have do you have those just like the actual hard books, or do you use digital copies like on D and D Beyond or anything?
1: I have all hard books. I do not purchase digital books because there's times I want to pick up a book and throw it at a player. A book <laughs> is cheaper than a computer. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's good. i uh, Have you had to throw a book at a player?
1: No, I use my cheap dice for those. Because <laughs> I actually go out and I buy extra D20s. I got about a bag of about 70 to 80 just extra D20s, and I can just pick one up and throw one. And it's like, quit doing that.
0: <laughs> so you probably are more on the spectrum of like dice hoarder then? I
1: have enough dice that I can loan out two full sets of dice to every player and then have four extra sets on backup that everyone can use before I even start using the dice that I personally use.
0: <laughs> so yeah, you are you are set. And where do you pick up your stuff? Do you grab it online? Do you have a local game store? A local game
1: store now four minutes away from where I work, which is not good for my paycheck, but <laughs> keeps the doors open.
0: Yes, always good to support those little shops. I don't unfortunately I think the closest one to me is about a half an hour away. And then there's another one that I support somewhat regularly that's about an hour away because they have other uh, board game stuff that I'm also into as well. So a little bit a little bit more difficult to get that far but and how long did you say that you had been dming for
1: oh goodness i've been dming mostly kind of serious fixed schedules for going on about three years or so now then kind of off and on not as serious a lot of one shots for goodness almost seven eight years ballpark in that range
0: sure so you've been playing for quite a long time then um do you have advice for um you know beginner dms um but then also so kind of a two-part question do you also have advice for veteran dms
1: beginner dms i would definitely say limit your group size if you have more people who are interested Get another one of your friends to DM half and then you DM half and split it up to where you have group A and group B and the dungeon masters can talk back and forth to each other. Run the same story in the same setting and when it needs be, take a player out of one group and flip them back and forth. Well, that's, but definitely limit your group size for new DMs. And then for veteran DMs, I'd say go in and give your players more gold as they're searching things. As, like lots of bandits have gold on them. And from there, go in and make weird, fascinating items that are mostly useless. Like I've got coming up, my players are able to buy a rock from an elemental for next to nothing with the possibility that they can make their own Earth Elemental out of it. And if it'll work or not, probably not. Is it something fun, interesting that could be talked with a fun shop owner? Yeah. So doesn't always have to be magic items, super useful, and sometimes everyone needs something fun.
0: Yeah, and sometimes players will grab on to just really weird things that, you know, aren't important anyways. So kind of throwing those items with maybe a little more thought into it, it I can see where that would be kind of fun. Um, have they gotten anywhere with with that elemental stone?
1: Uh, that has actually come this week to where they can get that. Gotcha. Is that, I actually, my, my For Fun group... They sold that rock to a questionable, questionably sane shopkeeper who then sent it back to their distribution center. And now they're trying to figure out, how do I get rid of a rock?
0: Uh, would you say that, So, because you've got your fun group and yeah, your more serious group, as a DM, does that help you to kind of flip back and forth between, you know, the serious and the the funny?
1: It helps out tremendously. Because I don't need to have massive political entries and we can go in and discuss politics for hours and debate on all that. Sometimes you just want to have a Goliath It's like, can I use a door as a shield? Why, yes you can.
0: Right. I can see where that just the, if you're too serious all the time, then sometimes you can get a little bored or if you're too, you know, trying to keep the high octane, you know, funny going too much, so you can kind of burn out on, you know, either one of those. I can see where that flip-flop is going to help to just as a DM and as a player, just kind of keep your interest. So you're not always doing the same thing, you know, week (laughs) to week. And what, what made you uh, start doing the fun group was it just kind of a natural you know you had a serious campaign and then another group that just said we just really want to have you know fun time or kind of how did that form
1: well the core of that I had it started off as night paint reset for a week straight I used to work with three of the people in my fun group and They were curious about D&D, so I would talk to them about it, and they were all interested. It's like, all right then. So I found a handful more people, and we formed a group, and we've been going on there ever since. It's one of those, the more interested they were in it, the more they liked it.
0: And are your players? It it sounds like your players for the they're they're really two separate groups of people, right?
1: Yes, I have at this point. I used to have one player that was in both groups, but now both groups are completely separate.
0: Sure. So you're really seeing kind of two two different groups. Um, yeah, I was gonna, I was kind of curious if they if you had a crossover or not.
1: There was one, but he also another DM couldn't maintain running about, goodness, I think he was playing D&D about four nights a week or so. So, eh, that's a bit much.
0: Yeah, that's a lot to do, just about anything. Um, do you play in any games?
1: I am playing in one that I'm actually having to drop out of, because it's like, oh, I'm starting to feel the burnout some. It's like, okay. I'll drop out of this particular game and run my two games and go from there.
0: And so do you prefer to be a DM then?
1: I prefer to be that because I, I like to go in and help kind of control and shape the chaos instead of being at the whim of whoever is controlling the chaos.
0: Sure. I've I find myself... When I'm a DM, I want to play, and when I'm a player, I want to DM. (laughs) I'm the exact same way. (laughs) So, um, uh, I don't have a super frequent group right now, but when I, uh, when we kind of did, um, being able to play in one and then you know, DM for another one, you could kind of pull the ideas, you know, back and forth, like, oh, you know, this group that I'm playing in had some cool ideas, and I'm going to bring that to my game, and then you know one of my players did something that was kind of neat. I'll maybe think about that when I'm playing in the other group. Um, you said that your prep, your prep is pretty low. Um, how do you, how do you do your prep? Like, do you, um, like write it down in like a notebook? Do you do it on online somewhere? I do
1: it in kind of a hybrid. I have my, uh, I have three notebooks that I bounce back and forth between. I have my my personal secret planning notebook that I keep stashed. That I go in, I write out things, I write out big overarching stories. Stories. Then I've got a campaign notebook for each campaign that I've got separate sessions, and then Google Docs. So I typically. We'll write it out in my notebook, just rough ideas, put it up into my Google Docs, and then I'll access it as needed, and whatever I need to make changes to, keep notes of, I've got my individual campaign notebooks for.
0: And when you're running those sessions, are you just writing notes just straight into those notebooks?
1: Straight into the notebook.
0: Sure, and then you can kind of save those online after the fact. Are there any other like specific tools or anything that you use like at the table?
1: I have an a app on my phone that I can use to access spells because I've been starting to use more spellcasters and I don't know what all the spells do off the top of my head all the times. So I sometimes will pull up my phone... Type in a spell real quick and say, oh, yeah, that's what it does.
0: Yeah, the internet is is very helpful for that as well. If just you need to know one specific thing. Like right now, you can get to it pretty quick.
1: Yeah, because normally at my table, we uh, try and keep it to where there's a minimal use of electronics. And so that way everyone's more focused in on the game. And it works pretty well. There's people who are my spellcasters. They do the same thing I do. And I also go in for my prep work. This is, takes up a big chunk of time whenever I level them up. I actually have printed out on uh, papers <coughs> oh, excuse me. what all your spells are, what their level is, how much damage they do. Then all your class and racial abilities to where I basically take the player's handbook, for lack of better terms, snip out what they need, put that on one paper so you have a quick reference guide to, oh yeah, my sneak attack is 4d6.
0: Sure. So, and then are they playing with actual, like, printed character sheets?
1: Yes. I have physical printed off character sheets on aged paper that i bought off amazon to help with the immersion
0: uh if you could send me a link to that aged paper i would like to check that out that sounds pretty cool i've not seen that
1: oh yeah as you can go full nerd and actually as how i made invites is i printed off the old paper put it in a matching envelope and then wax sealed it And went in and hand-delivered all of those to everyone. This is your D&D invite.
0: It's like getting your Hogwarts letter.
1: Hmm. Yeah, pretty
0: much. And did you get your wax seal online too then?
1: I bought that from Michael's Hobby Lobby, wherever I went
0: that day. Oh, I didn't even know that you could buy those there. I guess I know what I'm going to be looking for the next time I'm... (laughs) Lobby.
1: <laughs> they're great for you could say like oh you stumble upon a letter carrier and he's carrying a letter this is what it says or it's like here here's what the letter says and just hand them that's like the immersion cool nerdness factor jumps
0: is this gonna say having a you know like you said, instead of just you know reading from your notebook or whatever, having a player actually you know effectively open it and just basically start role playing reading the letter, you know whether they're doing it in a voice or not would just be as a player. I feel like that would just be an awesome moment. Um, do you have any other like physical props or anything that you use for like handouts or anything?
1: For items, I have little cutouts to where I'll a picture of the item on one side and then on the other side i'll put the physical attributes of it like uh, let me grab one of them for uh one of the cities my players went to they had the chance to buy a mini shield wristwatch magical item and very basic it allows you to have a, a shield that grants you one ac and you could still use two-handed weapons. It's kind of busted, but it's <laughs> one of those... They were having fun, and one of their favorite things on is I, I actually have a note on the item itself. It tells time correctly twice a day.
0: Only, only twice?
1: Yeah, it's a broken clock. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny.
1: Just a little flavored like that, and it's something to wear... This is serious. This is an awesome item, but at the same time, whenever you take a look at that, like my Terry's trousers wristwatch saved me on the time that it actually said it. It saved me.
0: And do you print those on those on that like aged paper too?
1: I print those on boring white paper. Aged paper is a little bit expensive for frequent cutouts like that. So
0: sure. Oh, that is really cool to have the handouts and the letters. Um, for sure, for in-person games, that would just really spike the, the immersion. And you said that you try to keep the, the use of electronics down. Um, is that kind of just a, a shared philosophy that your group has?
1: Uh, that's one that I brought along over the top with them to where it's because one thing that I get annoyed with is it's your turn and you were playing on your phone. I have to go in and re-describe the scene to you. So if I can avoid that, we're all here. The game goes faster. Everyone's happier. Everyone's having a good game. And they've since they've all tried it. I've not heard feedback on that that anyone hasn't liked it you know people do use their phones sometimes like looking up spells or i got a quick text or one of my players his kid calls them they do those and other than that we're all here let's play
0: right just to kind of keep the session a little bit more focused that makes a lot of sense um I'm sure most people or most DMs have been in a position where, where somebody is not paying attention or something and then it's like, oh, yeah, now I got to re-describe and uh, it, it, it impacts this player over here. But um, how long do your sessions typically go?
1: My goal is that we everyone arrives or so. Sometimes it's a little bit late. We talk for a little bit before actual gameplay will start up up, go for about two and a half three hours or so try and end it around 9 30 at the latest and go from there
0: um and do you when when you're doing your games do you try to find like a a specific like finish up a an encounter and then stop it there or do you just kind of hit like okay it's like nine thirty we're just gonna cut it like regardless of if we're in the middle of something it's kind of your go to there.
1: It's mostly play it by ear, and I try and at least start winding it down by nine o'clock and if it goes over a little bit and all the players are having fun, we'll go a little bit later but i I try and have a hard cut off at nine
0: thirty sure so your kind of soft deadline is. Is we're going to be done at nine and then whatever extra time it takes to kind of just wrap up, you know, that's your nine to nine thirty time. That makes sense. Is there anything, any experiences or any, just anything that you want to, that you want to chat about?
1: If you want to have some fun and maybe bring some new people in, run a one shot. I try and run here. Just so that way it's like, well, Person A isn't sure if they want to commit to all the time. Here's a little sample of how we can try it out. And if they love, uh, my groups are full at the moment, but say hey, if we need a spot, or here's uh, where you can go to find groups. And it's more of a, your first sample's on me, and then it's pay to play after that.
0: I've had some success with with a one shot to say you know I had some friends that were like I don't you know we've never played an RPG before we're not really sure if that's something that we would enjoy or not does mm-hmm. it here well, we'll put together this one shot it'll be you know maybe one session or maybe two sessions depending on how far we get and then if you guys love it then we'll figure out how to do a longer campaign If you if you just don't like it or whatever or just not as into it. than... it was just a one shot, and we had fun for two nights. And um, they took a lot longer in the one shot than I expected. And we're still waiting to get the second ske- the second session scheduled. But they had a just a blast. You it is two people coming, you know, completely new to RPGs, so or tabletop RPGs at least. So mm-hmm. definitely understand um kind of that perspective just just to get people interested with you know very low commitment on their end when you do one shots like that or one shots in general do you give your players pre-made characters
1: i offer it to them it's either because i use uh, for one shots here's a fixed array that you can use here are some basic rules for making your characters. And if you don't want to make a, your own character, you're not sure how to, just come talk to me. I'll get some ideas and I'll make you a character. Sure. Usually for new players, it's here's a fighter. Here's a barbarian or a monk. I make it relatively simple martial classes just for a
0: taste. That makes sense. I know when I've done those, I typically will, you know, if you got, say, three people, you make up, like, five characters. So everybody's got, you know, there's always going to be a couple extra so that it's not like, oh, I really wanted to be that character, but somebody else took, you know, that that sheet. You know, there's a little bit of options there, but then they can be like, oh, you know, being a wizard sounds cool or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it's neat that you either let them build a character or, um, you know, just grab one as needed as well. Um, I've got, I've
1: got hundreds of players that, uh, not NPCs, hundreds of characters that I've made just like, yeah, what do you want? I've got something already in my back pocket for that.
0: That's probably like the curse as a DM, right? Is that it's constantly coming up with character concepts. Yep. Um, When you play, do you find it hard to narrow down and pick one?
1: When I play, I play for fun. I find the most obscure combination I can think of and throw it together. Like the uh, campaign I'm playing in now, I am a monk barbarian who doesn't really work well at all. (laughs) But, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm having fun, and good luck killing me.
0: Yeah, I would assume that a, a barbarian monk would be uh, very martial-oriented and very difficult to put down.
1: hmm Just take Pact to the Bear and I want to be mad and go punch things. That's the entire premise of this character.
0: So not optimized by any means. Well, maybe optimized to survive at the very least.
1: Yep, and that's all I want to do. So I want to pick one very niche little thing that I will be very good at that one little niche thing, everything else, the rest of the group can take care of that.
0: And do the other players are so either in that campaign or in your current campaigns, do they like to min-max or do like specific builds or what's kind of their interest in their characters?
1: I have a couple of players that try and min-max. I've got a couple that are kind of a mixture. It's it comes down more to the individual player. I definitely tend to reward more the people who... I'm not trying to break the game. I'm trying to have a little bit of fun so that way they can catch up in power level to the min-maxers and then go from there.
0: Sure, because yeah, really depending on how you put together a build, I mean, you can really not necessarily break the game, but you you can be very good at things with also not having major downsides either. And then your way of solving that is just helping those other players kind of catch up versus penalizing the min-maxers basically.
1: Yep. I don't like to penalize people. I like to reward others. And so sure. I go at it
0: as a DM. I mean, that, that seems like a pretty good, uh, as a dm you're kind of your job is to push them along and push the story along so if you're constantly coming down on your players that you know that may get to be not a lot of fun for them well awesome um i don't think i have any other questions but it's really great having you on aaron anytime thanks for listening to this week's episode of dungeon masters toolkit podcast You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.